Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Last Chance, Iowa. And Bear, I think this is Iowa's last chance with us. I mean, we've given them lots of chances. We've, we've talked about lots of Iowa cities. That's right. And here we are, last chance, Iowa. And we're saying to them, Iowa, you need to get your act together because this is your last chance. That's why we're here. And I don't know about you citizens in last chance, whether any of you are listening, but if you are, you might want to get out of last chance, particularly last chance, Iowa. Any thoughts on that there? No, I don't think we ought to be recommending to people they leave their homes. Well, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But my feeling is, Iowa is a difficult place to live. You know, of course, I'm from Illinois. Yeah, I was going to say, someone from Illinois ought not to be necessarily talking to people about Iowa. It's a tough place to live. We also want to give a shout out to our nephew, kind of let us know he's moved into a leadership role, and we're very uh, proud of him and what he's doing and going to have a chance to visit with him. Nathan, thanks. Last podcast, we were talking about strategies to uh, deal with the feelings of being attacked. And frankly, Bear, I thought we didn't do a bad job. The strategies we came up with, you even commented, they're deeper than usual, (laughs) which I have no idea what that means, but they were clearly good strategies, in my opinion, and different strategies. And people might have a preference for each of them. And I felt like this episode, we need to at least start by maybe commenting on one or two of those, and then also adding a fourth possible strategy so people have alternatives when they think that they're dealing in these communication situations where they're being attacked. Well, what are my alternatives? What can I do here? So one, you had mentioned fogging, and fundamentally, fogging is simply agreeing in principle, but certainly not in specifics, but then not doing anything more. Agree in principle, not necessarily in fact. And you, by agreement, disarm them in terms of their ability to continue to hassle you on that point. And then the second strategy we offered up was to be very intentional about listening, actually dropping into, I kept using the phrase dropping into, but really being disciplined because what we're proposing is not easy. When you're in a highly emotionally strained situation and you're feeling under attack, the idea of saying, well, I'm going to listen to you is not the first thought that comes to your mind. The third one we mentioned was uh, calibrating questions, and we took it from a book called Never Split the Difference. And what we're really saying there is you need to ask questions that get people thinking on your side of the issue. Fundamentally, calibrated question is one that gets them moving away from their position and beginning to have to consider, what does this look like from your side of the argument? Any examples or any thoughts on that, Bear? Anything come to mind in terms of an example of what you might do or what you might say? You know, that particular strategy is one I have not used a lot. Mm -hmm. You have mentioned it, and I have read the book, and I think it has great value to get people to see my view and kind of get on my side and look out through kind of my eyes. I think that has real serious opportunity built into it. Maybe one of the lead-ins would be, so exactly what would you like me to do about The response, if you were in my spot in this situation, what would you do? Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think the, the outcome is that what you're suggesting would produce? Yeah. Now, a fourth one that we didn't mention in the last episode that I wanted to introduce was one that I'm going to refer to as standing your ground. 
a lot of us feel when we're under attack that we're going to have to cave or we're going to have to withdraw or we're going to have to remove ourselves. And yet we don't feel good about ourselves when we do that. And so one of the strategies that I think listeners might truly embrace or think about is just the idea of standing your ground. That is realizing, no, it is important that you need to draw a line in the sand, that you won't put up with what this other person is doing or what they're saying, but you don't have to do it as we talked it through the last episode on this notion of going on the attack. You can be very calm, very soft-spoken, but the idea of standing your ground, and I see it coming in two forms, standing your ground. One is if the person is important or you have the ability, and that's really key, you can use humor to stand your ground. I'll give you an example. I have a business partner that early on when we were working with a company, one of the senior vice presidents of that company, we were at a convention and and this senior vice president, a fellow named Bill, I'm standing and talking with him and three of his direct reports. And my business partner walks up and Bill turns to her and says, oh, you're one of Bob's girls. (laughs) And (laughs) you have a lot of those. Yeah, exactly. And if you knew my business partner, you would know that just flamed her like nothing else. So she turns to him and says, oh, you know, I haven't been called that since I've been 12 years old. Well, he didn't know what to do with that. But his three subordinates thought that was really funny because essentially she put him in his place and said, no, I don't get called girl. Now, you're important to us because you're a client and I don't want to upset whatever's going on here. But I'm standing my ground, so to speak. I'm drawing a line in the sand and said, hopefully you won't cross that line again. And so I always remember that as an example because, well, now that was very fun. And we would love all of us to be able to, in the moment, think of lines that would put someone in their place and use humor to do it. And one of the recommendations I would have is in order to do that, you have to practice. You have to be thinking in advance. You have to think through, if I encounter a situation like this, what can I use to temper that? And it's not easy. I have found over time that it's never that easy. But if you can find humor as a way of diffusing feeling under attack or an emotionally charged situation, I think it's a great way to do it. And I think that raises the issue that we had talked about before of does it depend on who's doing the attacking or who you're feeling attacked by and how do you deal with that and what would be the issue involved? And I felt you had a great observation. So maybe you could make that here in terms of the notion of who it is and what's involved in that. Well, I think for me, part of the issue of me standing my ground or reacting in any way in these situations is the risk involved is to what degree this person is someone I want an ongoing relationship with. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is an element of risk. Another element of risk is, do I report to this person? Am I putting some sort of professional opportunity at risk? When it's someone reporting to me, it feels less risky. So part of your choice related to responding in these situations, to what degree is there a risk that I want to consider before I respond? Yeah. I, I do want to comment on something you said about standing your ground. The example you gave requires a level of cleverness that I would be concerned that I could pull out <laughs> one of those moments. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, your comment said to me, it requires a level of cleverness to insert humor in those situations that I'd have to get good at. And again, I know we're having fun with this and we have to be careful because we could run out of time quickly, but it strikes me that there are ways to prepare for this. I mean, watching stand-up comics, sometimes you can get one-liners. In my mind, obviously, if you're going to decide that you're going to stand your ground and use humor to do it, 
these are one-liners. These aren't long stories and monologues and things like this. This is a quick one-liner that puts someone in their place. Because what you're really attempting to do when you say, I'm going to stand my ground, is I'm going to draw a line in the sand again. That's just like we talked about in terms of going on the attack. And I'm going to be saying to that other person, you don't want to cross that line. And I'm saying it gently. I'm saying it humorously. But I am saying you don't want to cross that line. The alternative is to be direct. And that's hard, too. But I think for some of us, we need to. And I think in this day and age, when things are getting more divisive, I'm certainly feeling it, that if someone walks into a room and makes a racist comment, I feel a need now to say something, even if it's not at me. I think what immediately happens is emotions get charged. I sense a change in the emotional nature of what's going on in the room. And so I feel what I need to say is something like, you know, we don't say that around here, but that's unacceptable. Or you really can't say that in this company. And to say it directly, I don't have to be overly punitive in my tone or in my words, but I do need to say something. And I'm feeling it more and more that we're living in an age where with social media and with the alternatives, people are feeling more and more comfortable about saying outrageous things that create an emotionally charged contact and that some of us feel we really have to step up and address that. Thoughts on that? Well, I agree totally with you. My only concern is that in our current public discourse, the phrase stand your ground means I can take out a weapon and attack someone with it. Yes. No. But it's a justification for killing someone if I think they've operated and violated my space. So that would be the only concern I have when you use that phrase, that strategy, is it does sound like an offensive strategy to me. Go on the offense strategy uh, in light of the current social attitude with regard to weapons and, and being able to use them on others. But now, remember, Bear, this is a podcast on communication, not on guns. This is Twins Talk, clear-cut communication, not two guns with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. Now, that's two guns. We're not going there. We're going communication. And I don't think I'd say, I'm standing my ground, rip into the person. I think I would just use that in my own mind that I'm at a point where I feel a need to stand my ground, and hence I'm going to comment on that. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on that? Just what it says to me really is you're not willing to move. You're not backing up. You're not disengaging. You're standing there and going to be fully engaged and in an oppositional manner. And I think what we're trying to come up with is a strategy, because you mentioned it, particularly with people who are important to us, either they're relationally important to us, spouses, kids, friends, or they're professionally important to us, uh, bosses, colleagues, coworkers. We're trying to find ways for you to deal with that feeling under attack and yet do it in a constructive way that you don't risk. Uh, you, your comment about risk, I think, is very important. You need to gauge the risk. And so my view of kind of doing it with humor is you reduce the risk. Even if I am direct, I can stand my ground and try to reduce the risk by being calm and saying, we just don't say that here. That's unacceptable. That's not appropriate in this group. We don't talk about people that way. Those are all, in my mind, generalized phrases that don't have to be, I'm on the attack. Now, the other person will hear it as an attack, but nonetheless, I'm trying to do it as low risk as possible, and risk is an issue. When we talk about this notion of emotionally charged communication situations, I began to think of them as a continuum. And the one end of the continuum we've been working on is feeling under personal attack. I think that really sets the end of a continuum when we talk about emotionally charged situations. I think the other end is when we are not necessarily starting out in an emotionally charged place, but we're being asked to support someone who is. That is, people who find themselves in emotionally charged situations and are seeking our support. Now, as you pointed out, that can come in two categories. One is, I'm not emotionally charged. They are. I have no emotion involved in this at all. 
Or it could come in, they are emotionally charged, but because of who they are, a friend, a family member, we're in a situation with a healthcare situation, all those can draw me in and I can become emotionally charged as a part of it. So any thoughts on that in terms of dealing with maybe setting out parameters of how you help others through emotionally charged situations? Well, it depends upon the person's situation, but one of our natural inclinations is to try and get in close and be of help. And I do want to throw in here a kind of a guideline I use, a rule I use. If someone is thrashing around emotionally, maybe they're upset with the loss of a relationship. Maybe they're upset with the loss of a job. They've experienced some sort of Mm. devastating personal experience that I'm not talking about grieving. I'm talking about just emotionally out of control because of a circumstance. Mm-hmm. One of the things I would say to you is very often the what I have found the most helpful is that you use a life-saving swimming example. Hmm. When people who are in the life-saving business for people who are drowning, the one rule they use is you get close enough that they can hear you, but not so they can grab you. Hmm. Interesting. You are within reach, so you can offer support. But if they reach out, you're not close enough that they can grab you because their tendency will be to grab you, and then both of you will drown. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you talk them down, let them thrash around a bit, and then when they've kind of expended themselves and they're exhausted, then you can reach in and pull them out. You can actually keep them from drowning. And I think an interesting phenomenon, because I do think, particularly parents, parents reach in when their adolescents are going through these incredibly wild, thrashing, emotional reactions, situations, and the parent reaches in, and then both of them are going up and down over this event. Mm -hmm. And the parent's staying nearby, close enough that they can help out. They're going to be a lifesaver. You don't stand on the shore and yell to someone, swim, but that's too distant. And you don't come up so close, and you're concerned for them that they can latch on to you. And then both of you are going up and down in the same emotional way. One strategy, I would say, when you're dealing with someone who is going through an emotional event, that you offer them your support, but at a safe distance so that you can be of help. And how I translate that directly in, in this context is you don't get emotionally involved, is that you don't all of a sudden get in there and begin to add to the emotional dilemma is what you really end up doing right. because you're not resolving it, but now you're a part of it. And so that safe distance is really, it doesn't mean you have to stay six feet away from them. It means you have to emotionally as much as possible, keep a distance so that you're not adding to the emotional crisis of the situation or the emotionally charged nature of the situation. One of the models that I ended up employing when I think about this situation is something that came out of a a book called The Wounded Healer by an author named Henry Nowen. And he compared and contrasted caring to curing. And you and I both talked about the notion that one of the dilemmas we see in people who want to help others is they inevitably want to fix it. They inevitably want to get in there and fix this for the other person. Even if you keep your distance, using the swimming example, the next step you're going to do often is try to fix this thing. And what, what we would suggest and strongly encourage is you don't think about curing this or fixing it, that you think about caring in the presence of it, and that there are some elements to that that are worth exploring. And so our first comment on this notion of keeping your distance emotionally, but if it's a child or it's a close relative or it's a grieving situation, it's going to be very difficult to do. But mentally to say, I am not going to be able to, and I shouldn't even make an attempt to fix this thing 
because it, it presumes all the wrong things to presume that I can fix it. And I see you nodding. Any thoughts there in terms of your reaction to that opening salvo? Yeah, believing you can fix those kind of things is the worst of good intentions. I mean, it sounds so contradictory to say you want to care, but you don't want to fix. Mm -hmm. So the choice is to be there without making any effort to fix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or even presuming you can fix. Some things you just can't fix. They have to be lived through and, and eventually lived out. And you can't make that kind of difference where you can just come in and close a wound or you can... Uh, have a snappy solution. And I think in truth, most people will resent the presumption that you can fix that for them. Or at least be offended by it. The number of times that I've had a dilemma and someone has tried to help me, and then they get in there and start tinkering as if I haven't thought about it, as if I'm not smart enough to deal with it. They come up with all these solutions I've already thought about and don't work in one form or another. And what I end up doing is if I don't fully resent the person, I'm at least offended by the fact that they haven't considered <laughs> who they're talking to or how they're talking to them. And it is amazing because, as you said, well-intentioned people, this is often their first strategy. Because they're well-intentioned, they want to get in there and help. And their concept of helping is, I'm going to fix this thing for you, or I'm going to be a part of fixing it, or I'm going to give you advice, which if you don't hear advice included in the fixing perspective, please do, listener, understand that when you give advice, you have shifted into fixing mode, whatever you want to call it. And advice is not what people are necessarily seeking unless they ask specifically, unless they ask questions about certain specific things. Most people in these highly charged situations, the last thing they need is advice on the front end. Would you agree with that, Bear? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say be very, very careful. If asked, what would you do in the situation to actually offer something? Mm. Because if you offer something that works, they, for whatever reason, try and it works, then you become the hero and they're not the hero and they'll continue to turn to you for a constant a source of answers to all their questions. And if they try it and it doesn't work, then you become the goat. Mm. So I think the part of the goal in caring is to be neither hero nor goat, but to be present. You're not meaning goat as in the greatest of all time. No, I'm mean that kind of goat. <laughs> now, we mean the other goat. You're going to become the scapegoat. You're going to become the scapegoat, right. person we all look at and say, uh, why'd you do that? Or now it's on you. Well, believe it or not, Bear, we've run out of time. But I think we've set the table for this conversation. I think what I would like to suggest is we turn it, if we can, into this idea starting next episode of the caring versus curing concept. Because I think there's a lot to be pulled out there. And my hope would be that it would be really helpful to the listener to begin yeah. to think of themselves as, how do I truly be a caring person without always getting involved and attempting to cure? The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big so complicated or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. 